In September at Kenilworth Union Church this autumn, the sermon series is called Imagined Scarcity, Abundant Reality, which as you can see comes from that prayer by Walter Brueggemann that Katie recited so beautifully just a moment ago. We're talking about practicing the habit of generosity during September. And this parable from Jesus, Luke chapter 10. Jesus said a man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw the victim, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the victim, he passed by to the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when the Samaritan saw the man, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out $200 and gave it to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will pay you the additional amount that you've spent. Then Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And his audience said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to them, go and do likewise. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus tells a story about a traveler who is mugged by thieves and left for dead along the side of a notoriously dangerous road. A priest passes by, read Presbyterian minister. A priest passes by and when he sees the helpless, hapless victim, he takes a 90 degree detour and veers to the far side of the road. Jesus tells us when the priest saw the victim, He passed by to the other side. Jesus wants us to know that this detour was not accidental or incidental, but deliberate. The victim was seen and left unassisted. Same thing with a Levite. Levite is a semi-sacred ordained office. Read Episcopalian vestrymen. The Levite does the same thing. After seeing him, the Episcopalian vestryman pretends he doesn't, and passes to the far side of the road. I think Jesus wants to get the point across that it isn't always obvious who's going to come through when it counts the most. Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers, but it's not always obvious who the helpers are going to turn out to be. Religion is sometimes an obstacle to rather than a vehicle for compassion. Some religious people are so busy loving God, they have no love left over for the victim that God has quite literally cast into their very path. Good jokes and good stories always come in threes, right? After the Presbyterian minister and the Episcopalian vestryman pass the victim, along comes a Samaritan. He rips his own shirt into bandages, dresses the man's wounds, piles him into whatever passed for a jeep in first century Palestine and jets off to the nearest emergency room and pesters the e-doc until he gets some attention and then leaves his American Express card at the front desk 
with instructions to care for the person. He left his credit card. A Samaritan. I am agog. I am aghast. Jesus frames his story to deliver maximum shock value. The common adjective good and the proper noun Samaritan did not belong in the same sentence. Now, as you well know, as far as the Jews were concerned, the Samaritans were personae non gratae. Jews and Samaritans were indeed close kin and near neighbors. But to a Jew, a Samaritan was what is known at Hogwarts as a mudblood, a half-blood, a mongrel person. Almost, but not quite Jewish. Jewish maybe in an ancient sort of way, but that Jewishness down the generations had been diluted by intermarriage with God only knows what Gentile mediocrities over the centuries. These Samaritans didn't worship at the Jerusalem temple. They didn't keep the right kosher. They didn't know a matzah from, from a menorah. I'll leave it to Jesus to deliberately offend the delicate sensibilities of his audience. Along comes a Samaritan, says Jesus. But to get the lethal point of it, you fill in your own blank. Along comes a drug dealer. Along comes Kim Jong-un. Along comes an Antifa guy. Along comes a border patrol agent. Along comes a neo-Nazi. Along comes a liberal. Along comes Tucker Carlson. Along comes Chris Cuomo. Along comes a Buckeye fan. Fill in the blank. So Jesus is trying to maximize our concept of what a neighbor is. He's trying to stretch it past all reasonable recognition. He's trying to enlarge our sacred universe of moral obligation. He means to say that when it comes to human need, these trivial distinctions we concoct in the human community are meaningless. Look for the helpers, says Mr. Rogers. But who are the helpers? Jesus suggests that it has little to do with our religious convictions. So maybe the helpers are those who practice the habit of generosity. Maybe the helpers are those who trust that there will always be enough, enough money, enough time, enough years, enough life. The other day I read about a beautiful, generous life. Have you heard of this organization called Dog is My Co-Pilot? You heard me right. Dog is my co-pilot. A guy named Peter Rourke retired eight years ago after a career as a, an orthopedic surgeon. He gave up this lifetime of medicine in 2012 when his wife died and he was so depressed that he hid in a dark room for months and months and months. And finally, after some time, a friend convinced Peter Rourke that he needed to get back to his life. Peter Rourke loves to fly. He has a Cessna caravan. So he decided to put his passion for aviation to good use. And what he does is he flies his Cessna to cities and towns, mostly in California, where the kill rate at the animal shelters is excessively high. In some of these shelters, 90% of the animals are euthanized. In some shelters, 10 dogs out of 100 make it out alive eventually. That's 1.6 million animals in the United States every year. So Peter and three other volunteer pilots fly around to these cities and towns with high kill rates, and they pack 
150 dogs at a time and a few cats, 150 dogs at a time into their tiny little planes and fly around to other cities and towns with no-kill shelters where these animals are adopted into good homes. 150 dogs at a time, six days a week. They make four or five stops along the way. In the eight years that Peter Rourke has been doing this, he has rescued 16,000 animals. 16,000. Peter says, they say that I rescue these animals, but in fact, these animals are rescuing me. Dog is my co-pilot is the name of Peter's mercy missions. What are you going to do in your retirement? Or what about institutional generosity? What about bureaucratic generosity? What about the firefighters who are battling those flames on the West Coast? What about PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program? It has literally lifted millions of Americans out of the ditch and delivered them to the emergency room. In the last 30 years, 27,000 migrants have drowned in the Mediterranean, crossing over from Africa to Europe, about a thousand a year. So you know what the evangelical church in Germany did? The Lutheran church in Germany, 20 million Christians, they got together and crowdfunded the purchase of a giant ship. The ship is very impressive. It's about 200 feet long. It prowls the Mediterranean looking for migrants crowded into tiny inflatables. Institutions can be good Samaritans too. This weekend I've been thinking about what happened on September 11, 2001, 19 years ago this weekend. Now I've mentioned Jimmy Dunn to you before. Jimmy Dunn is one of the managing partners at the Sandler O'Neill Investment Bank, whose offices were on the 104th floor of the South Tower on September 11, 2001. On that day, 66 of Sandler O'Neill's 171 employment employees never made it out alive. Jimmy Dunn, managing partner, was not at his office that day. But years later, someone from the New York Police Department called his wife and said, is this the home of Jacqueline Murphy Dunn? And Jimmy's wife says, yes. We're deeply sorry to ask you this, Mrs. Dunn, but did she work at the World Trade Center? And Jimmy's wife says, well, no. No, she's 11 years old. She would have been two, maybe three years old when the towers came down. So she's okay, says the caller. And Mrs. Dunn says, yes, she's in the other room. Well, was her social security number blah, 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 2194? And Mrs. Dunn says, I don't know, I'll check. And she goes off to find a social security card and said, yes, that's her social security number. The policeman says, well, we've got her social security card. And Jimmy says, what obviously happened is that I had my daughter's social security card in my office that day. Boom, explosion. And that's the effort these people took to find what could have been the remains, the only thing left behind some of those victims and so just think about that cop the humility I'm not sure if he went to Princeton or Notre Dame you know but he dug through all the duns in the metropolitan area and with care and grace and humility he found my wife 
and he returned Jacqueline's social security card. Now, it's not that important that I have Jacqueline's social security card. It isn't. But it's just the sense to me of, okay, you know, this is a beginning. This is something we can build on. Years and years after the Twin Towers came down, the NYPD was still sifting through those piles of debris for human remains and personal artifacts until they finally disposed of those piles of rubble and built the September 11 museum and memorial. And then they spent years and years more tracking down these people who were left behind. When it counts, when someone is in need, it does not matter if you do not know him. It does not matter if you do not like him. It does not matter if you speak a different language. It does not matter if you have more important things to do. If she or he is in need, no matter who he or she is, those people are your principal obligation. He is part of your sacred universe of moral obligation. So friends, please, please, when it counts the most, practice the habit of generosity. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.